previously on Solve the World. I don't want to do anything to screw this up, you know? So, like, I think I think Betty's worth it. I gotta give this my all. Give it the best chance for success. I'm falling in love with her. Solve the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. There were always those stragglers left behind, left alive somehow. Episode 53, Couch. your eyes, Jennifer. She did. Jenna woke, staring at the almond-white ceiling. Her back hurt. Why? She touched it, gathering her senses from what would later apparently prove to be quite a long slumber, to realize that she was lying down on a couch. A couch that had been largely extracted from itself. This was not as she remembered it. Who cares about sore muscles? It worked. The thought... She'd imagined a place, her favorite place in the whole world, Atticus Further's couch. And voila, she was here. Atticus? Atticus? Jen called out, jumping to her feet. She paused momentarily. It'd been months and months since she'd sported knee-high baseball socks. In fact, being here, in this house, that was one of the last times she'd actually worn them. Her whole outfit, even the long extra hair length, It was all the same as, well, as way back when. She was wearing the same outfit she wore the night she met Atticus. Instinctively then, Jen brought hand to forehead. No wound. She touched her bottom. No sore there either. Okay, good. Whatever forces were at play, it didn't appear that time travel was also part of the game. Jennifer Dash, as you'll recall, had met Atticus after getting all banged up from jumping out of Dolores Burton's 18-wheeler. Those wounds were not prescient now. Scout? Scout? Hello? Anyone here? Mr. Further? Atticus? No answer. Jen peered down at the couch she had just arisen from. It was in bad shape. There were a few cuts along the seam of the arm cushion, horizontally across the cushion bottoms, as well as three vertical marks up every back panel. Jen surmised that at least 80% of the innards, the fluffing, had been removed. The carpet at her feet, well, it wasn't there. It'd been pulled up. There, in the corner of the room, stood big wads of carpet. Much of the wallpaper had been peeled, was peeling. None of this looked to be the work of time and lack of attention. Oh no, this was meticulous. This was purposeful. The conclusion was easy to make. Someone had raided the further house. Were they looking for someone? Something? Suddenly, the room that was once so welcoming and comforting to the thought was now suspicious. The air of the room had turned sour. The TV. The remote on the coffee table. 
Jen picked it up and pressed the big red button in the upper left corner. Static. Turn channel. Static. Turn channel. Static. Next. Static. Wait, maybe something behind the static? No, nothing. Next channel. The next channel wasn't static. Sitting on a fold-out chair in a small studio room, staring at the camera was a person hiding in a giant fox leotard, full with lifelike mask featuring long whiskers. The fox person was silent. Jen pressed up on the volume. Maybe there was a message here. Nope. Just silence and a staring fox. Strangely, it was intoxicating. The fox stared at you, and you couldn't help but stare back. Jen mused over what the fox's name was. Maybe it's Tamber Flamber, she thought. That was a good name. An innocent name. It twisted the silent fox's stare from creepy to just silly. If the fox had a name like, say, Rex or Jeremy, that might be unnerving. But Tamber Flamber was a childlike name. Nothing to fear here. No Tamber Flamber was ever dangerous. Jen sat back down on the hollowed-out couch, watching Tamber Flamber watching her. Noise. The screen went black, then red, yellow, green. Streams of color. And on top of the vacillating colors, a message written on the TV. Smugly's watching. Smugly's watching you. Be like Smugly. Sly as a fox. Sly as a fox. 10.30. New Bronzeville, Texas. 11.15. New Orleans. 12.04. New London, Texas. 12.10. New Albany, Mississippi. The noise ended. The telecast returned to Tambor Flamber staring at us. Or was it Smugly? Jen preferred Tambor Flamber. Smugly wasn't so... nice. Keys in the door. Door opening. A person walked through the front door. Said person had a gas mask on. A bundle of plastic bags with groceries hidden inside dangled off its arms. First thoughts. It's Atticus. He'd been out getting groceries. Go! Hug him! Embrace him! Run to him! The thought launched Jen up from her fluffless seat. But then, she stopped. The gas-masked intruder dropped the groceries. Jen looked her over, realizing she had far too feminine a mystique to the Atticus. Scout? Jen asked, wondering if maybe she was wrong about time travel after all. If this was Scout, she'd either just been through the biggest growth spurt in recorded history, or Jen had passed not just through space, but time as well. It was possible, right? The gas-masked person, groceries dropped, pulled a knife out from underneath her jeans. It must have been uncomfortable strolling around the grocery store with a nine-inch knife hidden down your backside, Jen thought. This is not your home. You must leave. Now. Now turning her back to Jen, the gas-masked one tiptoed backwards towards a certain cabinet. Without looking, she pawed through a shelf, grabbing a can of what looked like pepper spray. This stuff will burn your eyes out. Trust me. 
You regret this if you don't leave now. This wasn't Atticus. This wasn't Scam. It most certainly wasn't Mr. Further. Mrs. Further died years ago. So, who was this masked vigilante? Someone who just decided to claim the Further house as her own? That seemed unlikely. This girl looked young. Jen's age. Maybe younger. Betty? Jen said. How do you... Please, I'm not here to hurt anyone. I'm looking for Atticus. Why are you wearing that mask? Betty put the knife on the cabinet shelf, took off her mask, keeping her pepper spray canister in the locked and loaded position, ready to burn out Jen's eyes at the slightest twitch. She was beautiful, Betty. Jen felt an instantaneous jab of jealousy. Betty was, frankly, prettier than Jen. Atticus had found an upgrade. Oh, Ma, you're, you're Jennifer Dash, Betty squealed. Yeah, how do you... Everyone knows you. I'm looking for Atticus. You're late. I... No? You could have helped had you been here. What do you mean? Betty redirected herself. She was a determined young woman. She didn't fantasize about what-ifs. She wasn't an abstract artist. She followed the laws of pragmatics. A girl like Betty, left alone in this post-apocalyptic hellscape, had to be result-oriented. Today marked an unexpected encounter. Betty would deal with this unexpectation. She'd remove all variables. Then she'd maximize personal profits from this encounter. That was what was important. It wasn't about being selfish, per se. It was about survival, with an eye towards sustainability. Living day to day was taxing. It was aging Betty far beyond her teenage vigor. She noticed this, and, again for the sake of her future, willed that this accelerated aging would stop, and this hand-to-mouth business was the prime culprit. All this is to say, matter-of-factly, that young Betty was no nonsense. Are you hungry? Betty asked. Jennifer was all about the nonsense. A little, but, uh, so what's, uh, going on exactly? I've kind of been out of it. You may eat dinner with me. We can talk. But you are not to get within five feet of me at any time. You leave this house after dinner. Understood? Jen rebutted the intensity in Betty's voice with innocence. Why? Because... This isn't your home. Are you alone here? I don't have to answer that question. Why were you wearing a gas mask? Old habit, but it's... Do you really not understand what it's like out there? Out where? Uh, in the world. Um, y- yes? Jen said, reflecting the opposite answer with her tone of voice. Sit. Jen sat on the couch. You eat peanuts? Sure. But he fumbled through her bags, found a can of peanuts, and tossed it at Jen. Thanks. You're welcome. You stay there. Eat your peanuts while I unpack and start dinner. What are we having? Spaghetti. Hey, Jen said. Yes, Betty answered, preparing herself for a non-answer. Who's smugly? You turned on the TV. Yeah, there were dates and times. Does it mean something? That's where Atticus went.
This way. The coffee table was dragged ten feet towards the kitchen. On it, a pot, ladle, bowls, forks, and spoons. Betty sat on a chair she drug halfway from the dining room. Jen was to eat her spaghetti and sausage from the couch. Betty ate from her own chair, five feet from the coffee table that separated the two young women. Mmm. Thank you. This is great. How'd you think to add sausage instead of meatballs into the pasta? Store wouldn't sell any ground beef to me. You mean they didn't have any? No, they didn't want to sell it to me. Why? They're trying to trap me, huh? Jen couldn't grasp the world Betty was hinting at. <sighs> Since the plague and the bombs, we've retreated back to barbarism. Around these parts, there aren't many cops anymore, and the few that are around are as perverse as anyone else. You can't trust anyone. Not here. The only grocer in town. He and his two boys keep. Betty was a civilized woman. She wasn't going to debase herself by using loose language. They are ruffians. They look at me with wantonness in their eyes. That's really why I wear the gas mask. I know it doesn't do me any good against uranium or whatever's in the air. I know that, but it keeps my face under wraps. It keeps evil people from looking at me and getting ideas. You'd be smart to get one too. Jen didn't know what to say. So I go to the grocer. Most of the stuff is like it used to be out in the open, but the real goods, most of the meats, dairy, that sort of stuff, they keep in the back in the walk-in freezer. But I know it's a trap. So some days I'm lucky. Some days there's sausage links or some frozen bacon to be had. That's safe. It's out in the open. That's the stuff for us. Jen asked. You said after the plague and the bombs. What? Bombs. Betty dutifully informed Jen of the blow-by-blow attacks on American soil and overseas. After a second and final bowl of spaghetti, Betty had resolved to be finished with the intruder. I've done what I said I would do. I gave you a meal. Now, you leave. Why? Because you're not welcome here. Atticus would have welcomed me. Atticus left. Mr. Further would have welcomed me. Jen rebutted. I killed Mr. Further. Do you want to test me? No. Jen didn't. I'll go. Just, just tell me where's Atticus. He went with Smugly. And where's Smugly? Nowhere close. Come on. What is it, Betty? It's a place for people who want to hope beyond hope, not for people like me. Now go. Betty reengaged with the pepper spray in hand. Go. Get off the couch. Leave this house. Jenna rose, more confused than distraught. She wasn't worried about where she'd go tonight. She wasn't worried about where she'd sleep. Jennifer Dash was simply confused by the odd blend of hostility mirrored in gentility offered here today at the further house. At the door. Jen gave one last college try. Please, 
I just... I'd like to know. Thinking on Atticus, Scout, and even Mr. Further, that kept me alive through a lot of bad stuff. In a sea of bad... badness, it was comforting to know that good people still existed. They proved to me that goodness is real in this world. Please, just tell me what happened to Atticus. And why this house looks like it started to eat itself. That's not far from the truth. Jen cocked her head like a Labrador, unsure of a treat in its owner's hand. <sighs> Sit down. Jen sat back down on the uncomfy couch. Mr. Further came home with the plague. He was good. He was a good man right up until the end. He knew that if he touched us, he'd infect us. The lonely plague, it, it preys on our love for each other. It eats at our compassion. Mr. Further was a good man. He knew this. He asked Atticus to kill him, to release him from the torment. Atticus wouldn't do it. He couldn't do it. So he had this plagued shell of a man in the bathtub. When the disease invades more the body, uh, more the brain, it gets harder to resist. Mr. Further wasn't Mr. Further anymore. He was never going to be himself again. He died in soul already. All that was left was this carcass, this exoskeleton that wanted to ruin the rest of us. I did it. I finished him off. Jen sat sadly. Betty continued. For a couple days, Atticus was catatonic. And I'm not being clever or coy. He simply couldn't handle it. It was like someone turned his switch to off. He didn't eat. As far as I could tell, he didn't sleep. Scout and I were worried. I thought, I feared, that somehow Atticus had gotten the disease, that it somehow jumped from Mr. Further to his son. I thought maybe Atticus was fighting for control deep in his mind. But after three days, he came out of it good, Jen said, finally comforted. He came out of it, but he was rattled. Too rattled. His first ideas weren't necessarily bad. We doubled down insulating our house from outsiders, boarded up every window several times over, barricaded the doors shut. We hunkered down. Didn't seem like a bad idea. I hadn't done anything with Mr. Further's body. That was a problem. Had I known better, I should have done something. Dragged the corpse out while Atticus was frozen buried it in the backyard, but I wasn't sure how to do it safely. I didn't want to touch the body, I, I didn't want to get infected, and I didn't want Scout to see the thing. I don't know, I could have drenched the body in bleach or ammonia or all of the above. I should have done something, anything. I didn't. Atticus made us board up the bathroom. I think he had this fear that his dad was gonna rise up from the dead, turn into some sort of zombie. I know I started to have that nightmare. After a week, the stench got bad. Real bad. And Atticus had boarded us in. There was no exit. I asked him if we could go out just to get fresh air. He always said it was too dangerous. We had the TV. Movies. I don't know why, but our phone stopped working pretty quickly. The wireless wasn't connecting. We waited and, and waited. We raided all the food in the house. Uh, the, the stench was overwhelming all the time. It made us throw up. The scout couldn't keep any meals down. Everything she ate came right back up. That's when Atticus ripped up the carpet. He nailed it to the door of the bathroom. He thought it could stop the smells. We made Scout wear the gas mask. Mr. Further had a collection of antique war stuff. He had a couple gas masks from World War II, and Atticus wore a mask from the trenches of the First War. We ran out of food. That's when Atticus started gutting the couches. 
mattresses. He said there were some nutrients in the fillings. We ate the cushions. Mr. Further had a case of vodka stashed away. I drugged Atticus one night and took Scout out. We'd heard rumors on TV about safe houses, especially ones for children. I ran down the street with her, took her to some place that seemed safe. Next thing I know, I'm watching her on the television in back of the president, getting whizzed away to some Onmo center. Yeah, I, I saw that, but where's Atticus? He wasn't mad, just heartbroken. And, and I think our relationship was finished. I'd killed his father and I'd taken his baby sister away from him. You can't repair those sorts of wounds. He loosened up, allowed me to go get groceries as long as I wore a gas mask. We had a few good days, then the bombs fell. Atticus started praying a lot. He'd spent hours in his room, on his knees. When these smugly ads started appearing, Atticus wanted to go, to see what it was. So, he left. He's with Smugly now. And where's that? It's not in this house. You can go now. Jen left the further house. She walked down the street under a pale orange moon, thinking not of herself, not so much even of Scout or Atticus. No. She thought of Betty. She pitied her. It occurred to her as well that this must be a young woman living with post-traumatic stress. She had recognized Jen from the TV stories. She must have known Jen was a wanted person, at the center of all the world's conspiracy theories. Yet Betty didn't even think to ask one question of Jen. Not one. Was it because she didn't care? Jen didn't think so. It seemed much more likely that Betty simply couldn't see past her own problems, her own welfare. She'd lost faith in humanity, lost faith in hope. What was the phrase Betty said? Hoping beyond hope? The Louisiana night was nice, quiet, cool, but not cold. No one was out in the streets. Jen had a plan plan to make Betty hope beyond hope again. She wasn't sure where the grocery store was, but it didn't take long to find. Jen didn't hear a car drive up when Betty arrived, so it would seem she walked from the grocer. And sure enough, there it was. It was only half past eight, but the grocery store looked deserted. No lights. Thankfully for Jen, the orange hue of the moon casted just enough illumination on the store to give her an impression about how to proceed. Striding through the parking lot, the grocer wasn't as quiet as Jen would have hoped. There was noise. Men's voices. Beer bottles clamoring. As Jen creeped to the entrance of the store, the location of the voices was now obvious. There was some sort of game, probably poker, being played in back of the grocery store. Maybe in the loading dock. This wasn't going to be easy. Jennifer Dash, fresh off an utter release of all guilt and shame, felt no trepidation about stealing. No. The only problem was the risk of being caught. 
She pulled on the front door of the grocer. Locked. Well, Sherlock, how are you going to solve this one? Despite Jennifer Dash's epic globe-trotting to date, no one among her vast array of friends had ever taught the teenager how to pick a lock. And even if they had, Jen didn't have any safety pins or credit cards or anything used in the movies to break in readily available. There seemed to be only one readily available way to sneak in. Simply break a window. Jen marched around the front side of the building looking for inconsistencies, an unlatched window pane, something, anything. She was also looking beyond. Cascading moonlight lit up the interior of the store well enough, and Jen could clearly see her prize, the walk-in freezer at the back of the store, the gamblers behind the back. How long would it take them to get to the store? If they weren't blind drunk, which Jen surmised they may well be, it'd likely take at least a minute, maybe 90 seconds even. Jen was fast. She was young and agile. She could do this. She could beat them. 20 seconds to sprint to the back of the store. 10 seconds to open the freezer. Grab some beef. 20 seconds to sprint out of there. 50 seconds total, max. How many men were there? Jen listened. Maybe four. Possibly five. Let's do this. A rock on the ground. Pick it up. Go. <laughs> Through the broken glass. It takes a couple seconds longer than you expected. You have to maneuver around the pointy glass shards still sticking out at you. Run. Through the store, down the aisles. You can hear the men reacting. They're still far off. You have time. Open the freezer door. Open the freezer door. It's locked. Don't panic, don't panic, don't panic. Find something to break the door open. They're at the front door. Solve this fast, old girl. There. There's an open freezer aisle with a two-gallon tub of vanilla ice cream. Grab it. Swing it at the handle. The handle's bent, but not broken. Hit it again. Again. Once more. The door busts open, but here comes a guy, probably 250 pounds, bearded, mid-30s. You throw the tub of ice cream at him. It doesn't quite reach him, but it skids off the ground and bumbles him up as he runs at you. He nosedives to the floor. Inside the freezer, you grab a frozen beef. All you gotta do is make it out. As you try to exit the freezer, another one. Right at the door. You pummel him with the frozen beef right in his fat face. He goes down. Sprint, old girl. With the bloody beef still in hand, Jen dashes toward the exit. The front door's open now. It's a straight shot. third guy, just to your left, is shooting at you. You duck your head as you run. Hit her, Sam! Hit her! Don't let her get away! Hit her, Sam! Missed. Past the front door. Under the orange moon once more. Don't stop. Jen kept sprinting as fast as her legs would take her. We'll get her! We'll get you! A far-off voice shouts. It wasn't like Betty to open the door. She always ignored the doorbell. But in her heart of hearts, she hoped Jen was returning. Betty enjoyed her company. She opened the door not to find Jennifer Dash begging to be let in, 
but instead found a hastily left gift. A pound of frozen ground beef. Hope. Beyond hope. Hey, that lovely voice you heard at the beginning of this episode. Previously. That one is the voice of my wife, Danae Stack. Next time you run into her, thank her for being willing to be that voice. Uh, I know that's out of her comfort zone. If you're into Solve the World, be sure to check out our website, DanteStack.com, and check out all the things we got going up and around Solve the World, like memes, show notes, of course, attribution for the music and sound effects, as always, for this episode and every other episode, and some cool behind-the-scenes stuff that we got going on. Thanks for being patient and waiting for Jen's return into the story. Uh, I hope it paid off for you, and see you next week.